Tonight's episode is brought to you by First Cup Coffee Company. If you're looking for a Christian-owned Patriot Coffee Company that also happens to have a mean cup of joe, you're going to love First Cup Coffee Company. There's a flavor for every freedom-loving American. Ships within days of being roasted, and First Cup places the roast date on each and every bag. Go to firstcup.com. Use the code STEW. You'll save an additional 10% on your order. And if you subscribe, you'll save an additional 10% for the life of your subscription. It's firstcup.com. Firstcup.com. Promo code STEW. STEW does America. Tis the season for Studios America merch. We've got your Santifa claws. You've got uh, your Doing Life Wrong Christmas cards. Everyone loves receiving one of those. Uh, and we've got It's Not a Riot. It's a mostly peaceful tree lighting. It's all available at studosmerch.com. And the code is Stu10. You'll get 10% off your order. Load up for the holidays. If you're watching on YouTube, be sure to subscribe to the channel and like all the videos. Do that right now so you don't forget. And I don't have to bug you about it later. Natalie Brunel is going to be here to tell us if Bitcoin is finished or if it's just getting started. I'll give you my thoughts on the Texas abortion case that's dominating the news coverage today, but we're gonna, we're gonna start here with uh, the Bud Light resurrection. Are we, is it time for the Bud Light resurrection? It's an interesting thing to watch. Let's go back in time a little bit and remind us how we got here. Of course, there was the Dylan Mulvaney thing. No one, by the way, is it still Dylan Mulvaney? I, I don't, I don't understand. Like. It's, so it's a, now it's a girl named Dylan. I guess Dylan can be a girl's name. So maybe does kept the Dylan thing? I don't know. I, it's weird that you change so many other things and not your name. But hey, who am I to judge? They got the fancy can. If you remember the can picture. Oh, yeah. So Bud Light does this promotional can, which, you know, with the grand scheme of things, it wasn't like a Super Bowl ad, right? Like they sent a can to some influencer hoping they'd post about it. And honestly, uh, I bet they hoped uh, that uh, he didn't post about it at this point. But this kind of caused a little bit of a hubbub, if you will. Uh, of course, uh, one of the big high-profile pieces of this was Kid Rock shooting at Bud Light cans. Watch. <laughs> Grandpa's feeling a little frisky today. Let me uh, say something to all you and be as clear and concise as possible. Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch. Have a terrific day. At least he said have a terrific day at the end of it. Okay, so he shoots a bunch of cans of Bud Light, causes a big firestorm. Of course, it's not just him. It's everybody, right? Everyone's on this. And it became kind of a conservative rallying cry, right? Like, what are you doing? The pandering is out of control. What do you, Bud Light is something that you know, conservatives drink at a tailgate before a college football game. It's not something that you're targeting to... Uh, you know, to Dylan Mulvaney and trans people. It just felt like such a fake, obvious reach. And conservatives, rightly so, are sick of the way the culture is going and sick of what every company is doing, right? Everyone's going down this woke direction and no one seems to respect their actual customers anymore. Like, how many trans people are drinking Bud Light? Uh, zero. It has to be zero until Dylan Mulvaney had some. That, then there's one. So... As we went through this, it really worked, right? We, we all saw 30 and 40% drops in the business for Bud Light and Anheuser-Busch. It was certainly the most successful conservative, if you want to call it a boycott, 
uh, that we've seen in a very long time. So we spent some time going through why it worked and how, what lessons we can learn for the future. If we're going to wind up boycotting a product or a company, we should take some actual lessons. So these things don't fizzle out like they normally do for conservatives. That's usually the way this goes. So some of the points we brought up, and Bud Light pretty much checks all the boxes here. Uh, organic start, right? An organic start. Uh, it can't just be some manufactured thing. It can't be something you've held a grudge for a long time. It has to be something that starts from the people in a real way. Uh, it has to be a mass appeal product. This is something that everybody uses. If you try to like take some little niche thing and do it that way, it's not going to make nearly as much of an impact. A mass appeal product that you know, kind of everybody wants to buy, in this case, beer. Um, easy substitute. This is a key one, you know, and this is a reason why some of the other ones have not worked. You know, it's hard to switch uh, some major part of your life. You can switch out Bud Light for Coors Light without even thinking about it, right? An easy substitute. Have, so, have a a path for conservatives to go. Now, we've seen also, uh, in it, which has been interesting, is a move by some conservatives to just make new beer companies. So we tried one of them. I think it was, is it ultra-right ultra uh, ultra beer um, that we tried over on uh, Sarah Gonzalez, the News and Why It Matter. She brought some in, and it's good stuff. Like, it's a good beer, and it's um, straight out for a conservative cause. You know, you have Patriot Mobile. You have a lot of the companies that we talk about here on the air that are uh, specifically reaching out to you. They're saying, hey, we agree with your values. We, wanted, we all like beer. Let's go for that. Um, so you want to make sure you have an easy substitute, a path for people to go, because if you're expecting everyone to change and uproot their life over a boycott of a product, you're going to get disappointed most of the time. Um, create social pressure is our next in the boycott formula. This one is... It can't just be, oh, we're taking a good stand. It needs to have something that the pressure is all around you. And I, the example I've used before, and this is a real thing that happened in my life, was right when the Bud Light stuff was going on, I went over to a friend's house. He had a little gathering, a little uh, gathering uh, party with a, you know, a bunch of adults and, and our kids, all our friends. So we all kind of hanging out and there were some beverages flowing. And my friend went into his, uh, into his fridge and he said, all right, what do you got? We got these, we got these, we got these, and I got Bud Light. He got to pull it up. Now, that's a totally normal thing that would have happened at a hundred different picnics or gatherings or barbecues or whatever. And as soon as he brought the can of Bud Light, everyone was like, oh, Steve loves the Bud Light. Oh, oh I guess where you, I see what you're saying there. And everyone was joking, right? But it created a social pressure to not even have it in your fridge. Like... I went to a wedding at that point and like, you know, I don't, do I want to be carrying around a Bud Light can all day so that every single conversation I have has to be punctuated with conversations about transgenderism? No, it created a social pressure. So I chose whatever it was, Coors Light, because I didn't want to have those conversations. And that is a really part of the uh, good, big part of the effectiveness of the Bud Light campaign. Trackable results is something that is a little subtle, but I think important. One of the things that we found with Bud Light is every week you could see your progress because every week they deliver these these numbers uh, that show how much the sales had gone down. And you remember, these were numbers that were in the 30 and 40 percent range. And I stopped and thought about this recently. and I thought to myself, I haven't heard one of those numbers in a long time. Why? We were hearing them every single week when it was 25, then 30, then 35, all these really high numbers, huge drops of their business. 
Part of it might be that those numbers have started to fade. People have softened on this over time. The last one I could find, honestly, was from uh, right around Halloween. Bud Light Brewer is still reeling from trans promotion backlash as U.S. revenue tumbled 13 percent, which is a lower number. Now, sometimes these things are measuring slightly different parts of it. I'm not a you know, I'm not in the beverage industry, but uh, those numbers come out all the time. We're not hearing them as much. And likely that's because conservatives aren't as excited about it anymore. Now, as the numbers sort of come back uh, to earth, um, central to the mission. Of course, this is incredibly key. What point are you making? And is that central to what you believe? Like, you know, I think arguably the Disney example is maybe a better example of something that's central to the mission. You are targeting sexuality, all this weird stuff that's, uh, you know, to, to children in cartoons, right? Like that is a really fundamental part of conservative parenting family uh, philosophy. Don't do this to kids. Let the kids grow up. You know, the, it's a little different with Dylan Mulvaney. Honestly, I thought this was the weakest one on the Bud Light case. Is it central to the mission that trans people don't drink Bud Light? Like, I don't it's, they're adults. They can make uh, whatever decision they want. You know, Dylan Mulvaney can drink whatever beer Dylan Mulvaney wants to drink. Um, so this one, it, was it central to the mission? Not exactly, although the woke company part of it is central to the mission. So that one was not perfect, but close. And then finally, uh, a non-ideological mission. And I think this was one that we often miss when we try to do these things. Picking companies that are not already there for the ideology. An example of this is Ben and Jerry's, right? Ben and Jerry's makes moderately good ice cream. I don't think it's fantastic. It's fine. If you've been to better ice cream places, you know it. But, you know, it was one of the first premium ice creams you could buy in a store, whatever. So, but Ben and Jerry, like, they don't get won over by anything. Like, they'll support basically groups that are calling for the Holocaust of Jews and not bat an eye when they get protested. They don't care. To them, socialism is more important than ice cream. So protesting Ben and Jerry's might hurt their numbers, but they're never going to change because they don't care. They don't care whether you like them or not because they're there for the ideology. And yes, you know, other companies are now involved and some of the people that own them care. But in reality, honestly, you're going to have a tough time making an impact. I think Disney at some level is in the same boat, which is hard to imagine. But they seem to be so ideologically committed to bringing, I don't know, porn to your kids that I don't know if you're ever going to sway them, even with, you know, uh, attacks from uh, government in Florida or uh, even major drops in revenue of these movies. Maybe eventually it'll make a difference. But it seems to me they they're like, we'll just go bankrupt. And, uh, you know, who cares? As long as we're bringing sexuality to four year olds, we're committed. Um, it's a weird stance for sure. Uh, But like, you know, it's the same thing with the blaze. Like if if we had companies saying we won't advertise with you because you're too conservative, we'd say screw you, then don't advertise just like Elon Musk did. Like, except he used a different word. The ideology for us is more important. The mission is more important than whether we're making a few extra dollars on an advertiser. That doesn't matter to us. And so some of these companies are the same. And that brings me to Bud Light because it's interesting. Bud Light is a company that is really a mass market product. They can be influenced. They don't have an ideological stance for liberalism. They dabble in it, right? And that's what everyone was calling them out on. But they're not a hardcore liberal company. They're not, you know, they're not Ben and Jerry's. And so now we're having this this start of a campaign to remake Bud Light, to resurrect Bud Light. You saw a a commercial with uh, Peyton Manning and uh, Emmett Smith 
uh, trying to take advantage and turn people around. They're, they're spending big dollars to turn you around on Bud Light. They don't want you to leave. Now, Kid Rock, the guy who shot the cans, is back on the Bud Light bandwagon. Kid Rock is supporting Bud Light again after his boycott. Now, look, we don't know for sure. My guess is Kid Rock is probably, parentheses, definitely getting paid to do this. That's my guess. I don't know. I mean, the the man owns, maybe he's getting free Bud Light at his restaurant in Nashville. I don't know. Uh, My guess is he's probably getting paid at a sponsorship. You know, look, he wants to take sponsorship money. That's that's his right. Um, But he did make an argument as to why he's doing that. And I'm going to give that to you here. He says at the end of the day, when you step back and look at it, like, yeah, they deserved a black eye and they got one. They made a mistake, the singer shared in a recent interview with Tucker Carlson. So do I want to hold their head underwater and drown them because they made a mistake? No, I think they got the message. He added, hopefully other companies get it too. But at the end of the day, I don't think the punishment that they've been getting at this point is fits the crime. I would like to see us back on board and become even bigger because that's the America I want to live in. Rock concluded by noting there's nothing wrong with giving a spanking, but you don't spank them for the rest of their life. This is interesting because it, it's a it's a crossroads in a way for a big moment in, in the conservative movement when it comes to the culture. And I've been kind of looking at other what other people think of this. I think it's been fascinating to watch conservatives. There's some that are on the Kid Rock bandwagon. Let me give you one. Uh, Dana White, who's not particularly political per se. He's the guy who does the, what is it, UFC? Um, he, uh, he, is, uh, he was talking about this, and he was talking, I think, also to Tucker. Everyone's talking to Tucker Carlson about Bud Light, apparently. He was also talking to Tucker Carlson about what we should do with Bud Light. Watch. If you consider yourself a patriot, right, you're a patriot, you should be drinking gallons of Bud Light. Believe me when I tell you. Wait, wait, wait. I should be boycott, I should be boycotting Bud Light. Gallons of Bud Light. You should have Bud Light drums stacked up in your garage and drinking it right out of the keg. Uh-huh. They are way more aligned with you than most of these other beer companies are. That I guarantee you. Take it from somebody who's in the know, who does business with beer companies. You are way more aligned with Bud Light than you are with so I'm any assuming, other beer company. I mean, they didn't come into partnership with you by accident. No. Obviously. We they, had multiple bidders they, on the table. Did they seek you out? We had multiple bidders on the table. They were one of them. And as I, you know, history has shown me with relationships that I've had with other beer companies, I, who lean more this way. Yep. I, who consider myself a patriot, I don't go crazy over the whole patriot thing, but I consider myself a proud American. I'm happy to be an American. I love this country. And you are way more aligned with Anheuser-Busch than you are with other beer companies. I mean, that's a pretty strong statement there from Dana White, who obviously is, you know, leans to the right, but isn't, I mean, a particularly political person outwardly. Um, It's kind of interesting because the question you have to ask yourself is, why are you doing these things, right? Like, why did we stop drinking Bud Light? What was the purpose of that? It was to send a message, right? To send a message to Bud Light and to send a message to a lot of other companies. Now, of course, that message has definitely been sent. And if they are changing their ways, is it the right thing to do to reward them for that? Now, look, I can see both sides of that, right? You might say, well, no, they're just doing this to get your money back and we should never give in. I get that. But on the other side, if you're just going to boycott these companies, what are you going to get out of it long term? This reminded me of a situation that we talked about a couple of years ago when uh, Kevin Hart 
was supposed to host the Oscars. Now, you remember the controversy about this. He had apparently tweeted some, uh, I guess, uh, what they called homophobic jokes. I don't honestly remember the jokes. I don't remember if they were homophobic or it was just some, you know, left-wing construct here of what is homophobic. But he... You know, he's not a conservative. And he basically said, yeah, they were bad. I'm sorry I did it. He wrote uh, at the time, he said at the time, I did F up. Kevin Hart looks back on the Oscar hosting controversy. And he said, he, you know, the comments, the jokes he said were, you know, were bad. And he didn't like them. And he wished he had changed. In fact, he had already talked about these comments, talked about these jokes previously. And he had changed and said, you know, those were wrong. And then the left came out and beat him over the head with it anyway and made him lose the Oscars. And it's like, well... What did you want out of Kevin Hart? Do, I mean, did you just want a scalp? Is that, was that the point of it? Because if that's the point of it, obviously you, you, you go that direction. But if your point was to try to change his mind on this, the left seemingly successfully did change his mind on this. He had already previously changed his tune on all of that. So what's the purpose here? If the purpose is to send the company a message and then when they actually do what you want, you then reward them, well, then boycotting them forever is maybe not the right approach. If you never end a boycott, well, then that product will never again have conservative customers. And if they never have conservative customers, what are they going to do to stay alive? They're going to start play, playing more to a liberal audience. They're going to become a liberal company instead of one that maybe was down the middle or even a little bit leaning left. But if you, if they, if you never reward them for coming around, then there's no incentive to come around. And that is potentially a, a big problem with all of this. The question is, are we incentivizing people and companies to never learn, to never change, to never kind of see your point of view? I mean, there's an argument to be made. Just take out these companies, destroy them, and then the other companies will just never do this stuff. And that's an argument I've seen some people make, and I think there's some validity to it. But if you have a company that is generally speaking shown some favor to conservative audiences, and now seems to be coming back, you know, maybe they, maybe they shouldn't be tossed off the cliff for all time. It's, it's, a, it's a fascinating, I mean, look, the conservative movement's going to have to figure this out. You know, you don't get to make the decision. I don't get to make this decision. I just make decisions for myself. Uh, but it is a fascinating thing uh, to watch. And I, I think it would help Bud Light, of course, with conservatives if they came out at number one, like, outwardly apologized or outwardly said something, you know, look, we're sorry, that was stupid. But again, on the other hand, what are they going to say? Oh, we're sorry we sent a can to a transgender person. Won't happen again. It would be kind of a weird statement. So I don't know. You have to judge them by their actions. And honestly, you know, conservative movement kind of encapsulates lots of different things. But in reality, conservative movement is made up of conservative individuals. And so you get to make your own choice on this. I am an individualist. I will always be an individualist. It's probably one of the most central parts of my belief system. Uh, I believe people should make their own decisions. And uh, that's that's how I stand on this and how I kind of stand on almost everything. So sometimes I'm out of step with people on that. But as an individualist, I don't really care. Now, I will say um, we are going to talk about a different approach to money that is more individualist. That's Bitcoin. And Natalie Brunel is going to join us next. (laughs) 
As we approach the new year, it's time to think about becoming a healthier, more energetic version of yourself in 2024. If you've been dealing with low energy or have gained some you know, extra LBs, I'm in the process of trying to do that in the holidays. So yeah, I'll wait till the new year before I start thinking about healthy things again, I suppose. But you know what? As you get in there to the new year, you better be prepared. You better be able to shake off all those extra pounds uh, you know, because it might just be your liver that's involved in this process. Your liver is super important, of course, for staying healthy. One in three Americans are now living with a sluggish, fatty liver. And all that, you know, booze of the holidays, carb-packed potatoes, you're going to be stuffing down your gullet for Christmas. That's not going to help. So get prepared for 2024 because it's going to be a crazy year and you need all the energy that you can get. One thing that could help is liver health formula. It has 11 powerful botanicals that help recharge and protect your liver. Buy today and get a free bottle of blood sugar formula to reduce sugar cravings. Go to getliverhelp.com slash stew now to claim your free bonus gift. Don't miss the chance to start the new year feeling your best. It's getliverhelp.com slash stew. Getliverhelp.com slash stew. I'm happy to welcome Natalie Brunel back to the program. She's the host of Coin Stories with Natalie Brunel. A convenient title with her name in it, uh, which you can subscribe to wherever you get your podcast. And you should. Natalie, thanks so much for coming back on the program. Hi, Stu. Thanks so much for having me again. I have so many things to talk to you about, and I want to just start with just unabashed optimism. I want to just go right into the sugar high here. Um, this is, a, a, you know, Bitcoin is a thing that has been taking a beating in the media, a beating from the government. Everyone seems to have the target on the back of the, of the, of the Bitcoin world, and it's been true since it peaked back in 2021 and really the entire life of Bitcoin, but really since 2021. Since the drop started to happen from the peak, people want to target this. They want to highlight every person who's lost money on it, blah, 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 blah. And yet here we are at a point, over 40,000 for Bitcoin. Adoption seems to be up quite a bit. This is an incredibly, incredibly enduring uh, product that we're seeing here and really a movement. Can you just talk about where we are with Bitcoin? Sure, you're absolutely right, Stu. Bitcoin is kind of invincible. It, it does not go away. It does not die. It's here. It's not back. It never went away. Um, but Bitcoin has had really quite a year. I believe it's up 140%, outperforming most of the other assets out there. And in addition to the market really gearing up for the spot Bitcoin ETF approvals, which I think are pretty imminent, as well as the halving next year, I think more and more people are really starting to better understand the value of Bitcoin as a superior technology and a superior form of property. And we need these qualities because our money is broken. Our debt levels are completely unsustainable. We're running massive deficits and they will not be able to stay higher for longer um, without sparking a massive economic crisis. And I'm sure they'll try to push it as far as they can. But one thing's certain, eventually they will have to come in and print and weaken the dollar. And that will send assets like Bitcoin soaring even more. And you want to be in an asset that is truly scarce, that can't be printed out of thin air and you want to be in something that is global, that is censorship resistant and open source. So Bitcoin will win just like the Internet Protocol won and impacted all of our lives because it was better technology for sending information. And this is better technology for transferring value. And it's the best technology for storing economic energy. Hmm. Yeah, you mentioned uh, it's going to get even more scarce with the having coming up. The ETF is another thing which maybe gets more institutional money coming into Bitcoin. How do you break up the percentage of this rise? Is it more the technical developments that are you know planned in Bitcoin or is it more just a situation where some of these you know uh, highly publicized scandals have passed what do you make of the rise 
I think we're at an inflection point. I think the bad actors have been washed away from the crypto scene. I think we're seeing more institutional recognition that this is a global macro asset that needs to be recognized. We're seeing more institutional adoption. Certainly, the spot Bitcoin ETFs will push more and more uh, billions of dollars into this asset class. And, and people are starting to take this a little bit more seriously, given the macro environment that I mentioned, you know, the unsustainable debt and the higher interest rates that are going to force eventually the Fed to pivot. So I think a lot of things are going on right now. And, and Bitcoiners are just really excited to get the word out because the stacks, uh, the stats that you can stack right now are a lot cheaper than when this thing hits six, uh, six figures and potentially seven figures soon. Mm. Uh, it's, it's very, very true. It seems to be that's true for almost everybody. I mean, so many people have highlighted the people who have lost money. And there were a few days where it was over 65,000. And if you bought it that day, you're down right now. But the overwhelming history of Bitcoin have been people who have bought and held and have been very, very successful uh, with that. I, I want to go to a, a point that you made on your podcast, uh, Coin Stories, recently about younger people. And this is something I hadn't thought about at all, where we're now, what, 15 years almost into, into the Bitcoin history. We're soon going to be at a point where an entire generation has never lived at a time where Bitcoin didn't exist. This is no longer this newfangled technology that everyone's confused about. It's becoming a thing that's just kind of normal to younger people, and that's going to fuel uh, the, the adoption as we go forward. Yeah, and you know, young people have largely been left out of the wealth creation that has existed in the current financial system. I mean, look at the cost of things like real estate and equities for people just graduating out of college or who have their first jobs. It feels out of reach to have the American dream, to be able to buy a property or to uh, have a nice portfolio to start to save up for your retirement. People have debt straight out of college and they need to be able to save in something that can't be manipulated and can't be debased, and that is Bitcoin. And, and again, it's just a better form of technology that they will grow up having in the palm of their hands. And I think it's just crazy to think about a few decades ago, you could purchase a house with just one income, but wages have not been keeping up with the pace of asset inflation. So we need something that we can opt into. And luckily we have Bitcoin. I have a lot of hope in the future, especially for young people, because they now can save in a form of money that can't be confiscated or manipulated under their feet. How do you feel about the uh, sort of growing adoption around the world? We've seen El Salvador, of course, kind of leading the way maybe on that, where they've really adopted it. Argentina is, uh, is seemingly on board now as well with Malay. What do you, is there a danger to this, that, that governments are getting involved this much, or is this only a positive? Now, I think more and more nation states will actually adopt Bitcoin. In fact, this week, I'm going to share an episode with Sandy Call, who's the head of digital assets for Franklin Templeton, which has a spot Bitcoin ETF application in with the SEC. And she also recognized that more and more nation states will move into this technology. Uh, as for Argentina, you know, I think there's a lot of hope in the Bitcoin community that Javier Malay will stand for freedom and work to create a system that is based on free markets and the accumulation of capital. But Bitcoiners do not put politicians on pedestals pedestals. We have a very healthy skepticism and a spirit of don't trust, verify. And I think a lot of us are waiting to see what happens because he promised to shrink the government and return the power to the private sector to create jobs and prosperity. But sometimes people get into office and don't stick to their promises. Um, I think one of the best things he could do is push for the adoption of Bitcoin. I mean, his country is suffering from over 150 percent inflation year over year. Forty percent of the population in Argentina is in poverty. 
and they need a form of money they can save in that can't be devalued and manipulated the way the peso has been. But I actually don't see him legalizing Bitcoin anytime soon because Argentina is so beholden to the IMF and has this mountain of debt that needs to be rolled over. And in the case that they do need to restructure or default and the IMF needs to bail them out again, then it's pretty likely that they'll have some strings attached and they will discourage Malay from encouraging the use of Bitcoin. So I have hope for Argentinian individuals that they will learn about Bitcoin and start to accumulate it. But I'm not so sure uh, as a nation state if they're going to be next. Hmm, interesting. OK, um, let me move over to uh, to Sam Bankman-Fried for a second here. Uh, you just had Michael Lewis on your podcast, uh, which is a great interview. Everyone should listen to it. I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a Michael, Lew- a bit of a Michael Lewis stan on his books. I really love every time he releases something, I love to read it, even though I don't agree with him on everything. I think he's a really interesting writer and and looks to understand people a little bit deeper than maybe the news does on a day to day basis. And and I was reading his book. It was interesting. I mean, Sam Bankman-Fried, I got the sense initially that he's just this criminal, right? He's just pocketing money and, and he's stealing from everybody. But the book, I thought, made a, a somewhat convincing case that he was a little more complicated than that. I mean, one of the things that I thought was interesting was he, real incompetence. I, I, I don't think that was ever really publicized. He ran this company like an insane person. And one of the big problems that he had at the very beginning of FTX was he didn't bring anybody from the Bitcoin community really in there outside of a couple of exceptions. He, he really filled it with people who were into technology and did other jobs. As you talked to Michael and you, and you read the book, what was your overall impression of Sam Bankman-Fried? Well, my impression actually didn't change. I think that he was greedy, he was foolish, he was incompetent, like you said, and he obviously didn't focus on something like Bitcoin because you can't control Bitcoin. You can't print it out of thin air, and that's something that he really wanted to do. He allowed people to take such incredible leverage, I mean, 100x leverage, which is out of this world in the traditional finance system, and so I'm not surprised that this uh, Ponzi scheme eventually ended up failing. I think that had the market not turned, he might have been able to keep the charade going for a little bit longer. But I think it goes to speak to how um, how bought off people can be in this current system, whether it's celebrities who wanted to throw themselves at Sam Bankman Freed or politicians. It's just really sad how much money influences people's decisions and they could promote products that they really don't know much about. And so I just really urge people caution in this space with crypto at large and these tokens that most of which are unregistered securities. They're There is only certainty with regards to regulation about one thing, and that is Bitcoin. And so I I hope that more and more people learn about it and how it can help them create and preserve wealth. Mm. Uh, That's an interesting point. And I think one that unless you're in this every day, you don't really realize people see crypto as a thing when it's not it's it's a gathering of a million different things some of some of the projects might be valuable obviously bitcoin i think is you know uh, certainly the the peak example of that but there's so me- there's so much trash right like they call them uh, crap coins uh, for lack of the, the real word they use for them uh, for a reason right and you know sbf did all these things where he's just printing cash to fund other companies and it gives such a bad impression overall because the media doesn't do a good job d- distinguishing between Bitcoin and all of these other things. How do, how do you inform someone who's not in the crypto world what's actually going on here? 
You know, one of the first and most basic things is, is there an issuer? And can the protocol be influenced by one person or a small group of people? That was obviously the case with SBF and his token FTT. I was very inspired and, and excited about the fact that Michael Lewis definitely knew the difference between Bitcoin and FTT and these other securities that are out there. And uh, one thing that he said, he wrote the big short and he said he would not short Bitcoin. But really, uh, you're right. It, it can be a very confusing space because there are so many other tokens out there. When I first learned about this industry, I too fell to this um, this idea that, oh, well, some of these are cheaper. One of them could take off and I could not have to worry about you know retirement anymore. But that's but that's ultimately the, the mindset is one of gambling, right? You, you're figuring out when to time the market, when to sell to cash or to Bitcoin, rather than understanding maybe the protocols and the trade-offs they're making. Because Bitcoin is the way that it is. It was designed in, in a way for a reason. It's slow for a reason. It is secure for very specific reasons. And, and you need to be very aware of the trade-offs you're making in order to support maybe some of the other tokens out there. And Bitcoin is the one that is truly secure, the one that is truly decentralized, that is truly scarce, which cannot be said for most of the other tokens out there. And so I'm really excited about the fact that it is outperforming all the other asset classes, even in the traditional financial world. And more and more people are starting to take notice that this should really be a part of everybody's portfolio. Even TradFi investors today in um, outlets like Bloomberg are saying you need to get off zero. Just a small allocation is right for the appropriate uh, risk-adjusted portfolio today. All right. We've got about 30 seconds here left, Natalie. But talk to me, talk to the person who, and I meet these people all the time that say, Oh, I wish I got into Bitcoin, but, you know, it's too late now. Like it's it was, you know, when it was a thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars or twenty thousand dollars, I should have bought. But now it's 40. There's no point. Talk to that person who feels like they're too late. You can buy a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can buy a dollar's worth of Bitcoin. You can't buy a dollar's worth of a skyscraper in Manhattan or a dollar's worth of a piece of beach front property in California. This is the most incredible form of property that's available to 8 billion people around the world to access and allows you to transfer value instantly um, over the Lightning Network for seconds at a fraction of the cost of what it would take you to, to purchase something on, say, a credit card. So this is incredible technology. It is where things are moving. I hope everyone takes the time to learn about it because there will only ever be 21 million Bitcoin and there are 8 billion of us. So even to own a tiny fraction is going to be really, really meaningful down the road. Mm. Natalie Brunel, be sure to subscribe to Coin Stories with Natalie Brunel wherever you get your podcast. It's great. The Michael Lewis thing is great. And uh, Natalie, we really appreciate you covering all this and coming on the program to talk to us about it. Thanks for having me. The Jace case from Jace Medical is here for you when you're facing maybe a critical shortage of an essential drug that you need. And nobody plans for this. Nobody thinks, oh, well, maybe, I don't know, the drug that I use every single day won't be around tomorrow. Maybe when I get sick for this very curable uh, disease or uh, bacterial uh, issue, you know, maybe there won't be an antibiotic around for me. Well, everyone, no, this is America. This is the year 2023. Of course it'll be there. Well, as we've seen with supply chain problems, there's over 300 uh, medical um, me medicines that are no longer uh, easy to get in the United States. I, that number may even go up from there. 
So get the Jace case. It's a personalized emergency medication kit. It contains five essential antibiotics that treat the most common and deadly bacterial infections. It's customizable. It's got dozens of add-on medications available, all sorts of stuff that can suit your family's needs. Think of it almost like a, you know, it's like a first aid kit for stuff that you don't think about. You're, you're probably going to run out of Band-Aids, but you do need antibiotics if something serious happens and we have real problems. The process is simple. You just go online, fill out a form, and you get prescription life-saving medications delivered right to your door. Jace Medical jacemedical.com. Use the code STU. At checkout, you'll get a special discount on your order. It's the promo code STU at jacemedical.com. J-A-S-E medical.com. It's the Jace case from Jace Medical. So we talked, uh, you know, what was it, a couple weeks ago about this case that went to the Texas Supreme Court about a woman who wanted to get an abortion. She, her life was not in danger. Her, her health was not in danger um, long term um, in any serious way. Her baby, they believe, may have a rail ailment. You know, one, though, that, you know, I think I believe it's Rick Sant, one of Rick Santorum's children has and is living with. Um, but she wanted to get the thing aborted. And, of course, she lives in Texas. And uh, you can't really do that here unless the life of the mother is in danger. So uh, she went to a court to try to get a special exemption to be able to get this abortion. Court said, uh, yeah, sure. So, of course, then this went up to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court came down with a ruling and. Like, whether you think she should be able to get the abortion or she should not be able to get the abortion, this is a state's issue. The, the, the state gets to make the decision on this. And frankly, like, there's only really one sentence in the ruling that makes any difference. And here's basically what it says. These laws reflect the policy choice that the legislature has made. And the courts must respect that choice. That's the whole case. When you have, this is why... Courts aren't supposed to tell you, well, we think this is really mean or, or that's not what's supposed to happen. Does it violate the Constitution in some way? And what does the law actually say? That's what happened here. And uh, by the way, before that ruling even came down, she went out of state to have the abortion anyway. So it really makes uh, no difference as far as the life of this child, which is now, I believe, over. Wonderful. Wonderful outcome for everyone involved. Um, Hunter Biden uh, is setting a Second Amendment request. Uh, in the uh, a bid to dismiss the gun charges. I love this story because basically for Hunter Biden to get off for this one of his thousand crimes that he's currently being charged with, uh, he has to make an argument that's very specific to a very recent gun ruling that his dad completely opposes and says is basically uh, chaos. Um, quickly to, we've gone through this before, but um, because persons, this is the argument from Hunter Biden's attorney, because persons protected by the Second Amendment can no longer be denied gun ownership simply due to past drug use, a practice inconsistent with this nation's historical tradition on firearm regulation, any false statement by Mr. Biden concerning his status as having used a controlled substance no longer concerns any fact material to the lawfulness of the sale of a firearm. Quite simply, um, Mr. Biden's status as a user of a controlled substance is constitutionally irrelevant to whether he can be denied his Second Amendment right to gun ownership. Basically, they're saying the, all the forms, all the checking that the left is pushing for all the time, none of those are constitutional at all. So he can't get in trouble. Yes, of course, he was a user. And yes, he lied. But you can't hold him uh, accountable for that because of the Second Amendment. This is the president's son. I love this story. Looking for a great gift for the holiday season? Well, it's time for gift giving. It's time for gift receiving. It's time for parties with friends and family and getting together with everyone you love and some people you don't. 
Okay, but you're still going to get compliments wherever you go because of GenuCell. From now until Christmas, GenuCell's most popular package is better than 70% off at GenuCell.com. Treat yourself and a loved one to the best skincare in the world. See the troubling forehead, wrinkles, fine lines, skin redness, pesky bags and puffiness, and yes, even a sagging jawline disappear right before your eyes with GenuCell's most popular collection. Now you might say, eh, I don't know, it sounds like a big claim. I get it, it's true, but with its immediate effect, you will see results in less than 12 hours guaranteed or your money back, so there's no risk here. Plus, included in every most popular package is your free hyaluronic acid serum for skin hydration that will restore your youthful appearance. Visit GenuCell.com stew now and enter the special promo code stew for an additional 10% off your entire order. Save the extra 10%, use the code stew. Every order today is also instantly upgraded to free express shipping. It's GenuCell.com stew, GenuCell.com stew, G-E-N-U-C-E-L.com stew. So Harvard, we talked about the story a lot over the past week or so, this weird um, testimony about how, I don't know, you know, somehow calling for genocide of Jews was not against the code of conduct at these colleges. And we covered all that. The Penn lady was forced to step down, the head of Penn. Uh, the head of Harvard, uh, they had, went to the board and said, hey, should this person step down? Her name's uh, Claudine Gay. It was for two reasons. One, hey, didn't you go in front of Congress and say, uh, that genocide of Jews wasn't against the code of conduct. That's kind of weird. That was the number one thing. The number two thing were charges of plagiarism. They've caught her in um, as many as I've seen, 20 different instances of plagiarism. And they went to the board of Harvard. Harvard came back, of course, emphatically, unanimously, she's staying. She's so wonderful. She's going to stay. She's the right person to lead us through these times. Now, of course, that would not happen to uh, you know, a conservative by any means. But honestly, I mean, you even see at Penn, even just a boring white lady, she's tossed to the curb. But this woman, Claudine Gay, being a, a straight diversity hire at some level, um, you can't, when you got a DEI hire, those people can't be fired or you're the oppressor. So she's staying, it seems, at this point. Um, you know, the, the, the plagiarism stuff is really a serious, specific academic issue um, that th this has tossed out uh, academics before from their university. So that one could keep building. It seems like there's more to the story than we know right now. We'll continue to follow it and see where it falls. Let me tell you about real estate agents I trust. Uh, if you're buying, you're selling a home, it's not fun. It's a lot of work, and you need an exceptional real estate agent to help guide you through the process. Now, Glenn started a company years ago called realestateagentsitrust.com, and, you know, he was uh, experiencing a lot of problems with the real estate process and how rough that was. Well, the agents at realestateagentsitrust.com are the top in their industry. They are the best in the business. They can help you get the best price, whether you're buying or selling a home. Um, whether you're moving, whether you're just moving in town or across the country, no matter where you are, the name kind of says it all, realestateagentsitrust.com. You can't just pick a random real estate agent. You can't just pick a friend, a friend, a friend, a friend, a friend. You got to have a good one, and it's a free service to you, so why not check it out if you have a real estate transaction that is nearing? realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find the agent you trust. It's realestateagentsitrust.com couple of political uh, issues I wanted to get off the uh, stack here before we leave. Uh, CNN's GOP debate in Iowa is in peril. Nikki Haley apparently noncommittal. Now, it seems like Vivek and um, Christie might not qualify for the next debate. 
And that leaves DeSantis, obviously Trump's not coming. DeSantis and Haley are left and Haley might not even want to do it. So it seems like maybe uh, the debates are over and that would hurt CNN and no one wants that. Okay, so we got to make this thing happen. Uh, Hillary Clinton is stepping out as a key player in Biden's reelection effort. Obviously, no surprise. But does anyone I mean, I mean, I know you're thinking, oh, well, of course, no conservative wants Hillary Clinton around. Does any liberal want her around? Is there anyone clamoring for more Hillary Clinton? I mean, even on the left, no one I know on the left likes Hillary Clinton either. I don't understand it. Uh, And a new poll is out uh, from Reuters. uh, Has Trump up to uh, 38 to 36, 26 percent of respondents saying they weren't sure, though. So, I mean, who knows? When you add RFK in, though, it does seem to hurt Biden a little bit. 36 to 31, a five point lead for Trump. RFK gets 16, though Biden has a lead among people who are certain they will vote. Uh, So we'll watch that polling as we go forward. And we will watch A Christmas Twist on Christmas Day. 24 hours of A Christmas Twist happening on YouTube.com slash America. Go there and click uh, like on the the event that is already scheduled. uh, And uh, you will check it out. It's going to be running for 24 straight hours. Christmas Twist on Christmas Day. We will see you tomorrow.